And so Linda's going to come and share some reflections on those words now. And we're just going to pray um, that God would be with us. And we're going to pray that God, who is beyond and above our understanding, would come down by his spirit and bring revelation to us from his word. We pray that you would anoint Linda, that as she speaks, we would hear you speaking through her, and that our hearts and minds would be challenged, transformed, and affirmed by you. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you again. And we continue our series in Exodus. We've been looking uh, today at chapter 20 and 23 from Exodus. And it focuses on the theme of character. Earlier in our service this morning, Jane took us through the story so far. And it's beautifully represented here behind me. We recapped on the story so far for God's people as they miraculously escaped from slavery in Egypt under Pharaoh and then embarked on this lengthy pilgrimage through the desert led by Moses and Aaron. And as they went, they discovered things. They discovered that God traveled with them, ever faithful to the covenant that he had made with their ancestors, with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Moses and the people experienced God's 24-hour presence with them in the form of a pillar of cloud or smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night, reassuring and guiding them. They knew God's daily provision in times of physical need when they received fresh water to drink and food to keep body and soul together. They knew God's protection in times of danger when they um, suffered an unprovoked attack from the Amalekites, another nomadic people in that region. And in his great wisdom, God provided them with strong leadership, a team to share the responsibility alongside Moses for seeing God's people safely to their destination. And as we look to our annual general meeting and to the task ahead of us as a church, if we're ever looking for some biblically informed insights into the nature of collaborative leadership, the importance of teamwork, and the art of delegation, then chapter 18 of Exodus has much to teach us. But this journey of God's people through the desert of Sinai was not just about God's initiative or about God's protection and provision. This was a journey of self-discovery for the people themselves. Self-discovery about what it means to be God's people, living in a covenant relationship with him. It was a journey of personal formation or character building. Not so much a university-based course of teaching or study, but more like an apprenticeship to become a master craftsman. Traditionally, an apprenticeship is a lengthy process, 
through which day by day, month by month, and usually year by year, an individual is gradually transformed from novice, inexperienced individual to skilled craftsperson. And it happens through a combination of teaching and on-the-job experience. Both are essential. And so in a similar way, throughout their long desert journey, lasting 40 years, a lifetime for some of the Israelites, the ragtag assembly of Hebrews who had escaped a life of slavery in Egypt were shaped and formed like an apprentice under the careful eye of his master. They were molded like a lump of clay in the hands of a master potter. And the story of Exodus is a story of a group of individuals who over time and through experience were steadily transformed in their attitudes and their behavior to become a different sort of people with a different character compared to where they had started out. They were destined to become more than just the house of Jacob or the people of Israel. This people was destined to become God's treasured possession, growing spiritually, so that they would reflect God's own character. As Exodus 19, 3-6 tell us, they were to become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation who would bring blessing to the whole of God's earth. And just as being an apprentice to a master craftsman involves a combination of teaching and experience, so the formation of God's people on their desert journey involved both their lived day-by-day experience and a program of explicit teaching. And in this chapter 20 of Exodus, we have the first account of some of that core teaching the receipt of the Ten Commandments through Moses. This is the foundation of the law, the Mosaic law, that will continue to develop over the centuries and will shape the Jewish people throughout their long history, right up to our present day. Earlier in our service, we refreshed our memory regarding the Ten Commandments. And isn't it significant that between us, we can probably put them all together, but if uh, it was down to just one of us, we might struggle. It's the value of body ministry. But I agree with Matthew, it might be worth having a course on the Ten Commandments. But in our reading, we also heard a passage from Exodus chapter 23, which introduced us to some of the other parts of the law of the Hebrews and reminds us that the law was much, much bigger than just the core Ten Commandments. We heard laws of social justice and of mercy. And if we were to read further into Exodus and then on into the Old Testament books of Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, which most Christians skip past, we would find hundreds of rules, regulations and practical guidelines that make up the Jewish law. These Old Testament books, which we so often neglect, 
as a church. Give us a picture of the law as a fundamental and life-giving institution for Israel, one which will enable the nation to maintain its identity and to survive all threats to its existence, as we know full well today. My Jewish friends tell me that today the Jewish law includes 613 commandments. That's quite a lot. Thank goodness we only have 10 that we really need to focus on. Many of these commandments find their source in the Torah of the Pentateuch. That's the first five books of the Hebrew Scriptures, or our Old Testament. If you look at the contents list in your Bible, you'll see it goes through Genesis, Exodus, and then the three more that I've mentioned. But there are other laws which have developed down the ages through the teaching of Jewish rabbis, rabbis like Jesus. And the laws cover not only religious practice and social justice, but many, many other aspects of ordinary, everyday life. In light of this, it's easy to think that the law as it was received by Moses from God and passed by him to God's people is simply a long, long list of rules and regulations, often negative rules about what you shouldn't or mustn't do. But if we look at it this way, then we risk misunderstanding the law as it was received by Moses and as it later came to be understood by God's people. It's so important that we read and understand the Ten Commandments, along with all the other commandments that make up the law of Moses, within the larger story, this one, of Israel's liberation from slavery in Egypt. For the commandments are the basis upon which Israel's continuing relationship with God becomes possible. God's deliverance of Israel from slavery in Egypt established that relationship. That was his initiative. But the Ten Commandments provide Israel with the moral framework for enabling that to continue and to be maintained. It's not a contractual relationship. So the commandments are far more than a summary of Israel's legal obligations towards God. And rather than being constraints on Israel's freedom, their intention is to lead the people to fullness of life in a promised land. But even more than that, obedience to the commandments is not intended to be a matter of submission to the divine will, but rather a response of love to a loving God. God's goodness and love experienced by Israel in its liberation from slavery elicits a response of love from a grateful Israel. And so it's a covenant relationship, not a contractual relationship, in the same way that a marriage is a covenant relationship. And it really seems sad to me that the Ten Commandments have so often been read and interpreted out of this original context of the story 
of slavery to freedom. So against this essential background, let's take a closer look at the Ten Commandments to try and tease out what they might tell us about the character of God and about the character that God intends for the body of people whom he has chosen to reveal his glory and his nature to the wider world. We could loosely divide the Ten Commandments into two groups. There's a set of four that focus on our relationship with God, and there's a set of six that focus on our relationships with one another. And we can see straight away that it's the quality of our relationships that's the heart of the matter. Our attitudes to one another, how we behave, the choices we make, our entire character should be shaped by the words of commandments 5 to 10 in particular. On the right-hand side of your screen, you can see commandments 5 to 10. And these are principles that apply in our homes and our families, in our neighborhoods and our workplaces, in our churches and in civic society with which we are called to engage as God's people. And if our character is formed and shaped by these core principles, then we and all who are around us will be healthier and happier for it. To some extent, these five, six commandments speak for themselves. They make good sense, and I think they need relatively little explanation. We know what happens when they are not observed. We see it every day around us. It's clear that they're designed to shape our human interpersonal relationships for the common good. But these six are paralleled by another group of four on the left-hand side of your screen, which emphasize the quality of our personal and our corporate relationship with God himself. And maybe these need a little bit more unpacking because they reflect an understanding of God's and of the divine, of religious practice and of worship in the time of Moses. Moses lived at a time when most people in the region of the Near East believed the heavens to be populated by multiple gods of all shapes and sizes. And furthermore, people set up man-made images of these gods in their temples to show their allegiance to them, but also to assure the divine presence in their midst. If you had an idol there, there was your God close by. And it gave them some sense of control over the divine. But God was very clear in the first four commandments that this was not to be the case for the people of Israel. He was not that sort of God. God was a God who had called into direct and personal relationship a people that he had brought out of slavery. So for the people of Israel, theirs was a God who doesn't need to be represented through statues or pictures made of clay or of precious metal. 
Theirs was a God who is living and active, always present with his people wherever they are. Theirs is a God who communicates with them directly, not a God to be used as a convenient guarantor of oaths, offering some sort of magical protection. Theirs is a God who cares like a parent about their well-being and who determines the pattern of their daily living with a balance of work and rest. Theirs was a God with a completely different character to the gods of surrounding tribes and nations. And they, in their turn, were to be a people who reflected this difference in their character. We don't have time to go through each of the commandments or even perhaps one of them in any depth. But if you would like to explore the Ten Commandments in greater depth, then one of the best contemporary discussions I've found in recent years is offered by J. John in his book, Just Ten. It's been updated over the last 10, 15 years since he wrote the first version. And this is the new version from 2013. Just Ten. God's timeless values for life today. Each of the Ten Commandments is unpacked in a separate chapter. And the chapter headings, which I put up on the slide, provide an accessible strapline for each of the ten that we've just looked at. Let me give you a moment just to look at them, because his words capture in a modern idiom the type of character building that is needed for individuals and communities to thrive as God intended. Over the past couple of years, it seems to me that Camborne Church has been seeking to reflect prayerfully and systematically on what the character of God's people, individually and together, should look like here and now, in this time and place. And thus where our future priorities and focus should lie under God. And so as we prepare this morning for our annual general meeting after this service, perhaps it's worth revisiting some of those key character-focused words and themes that have emerged through the reflections of the church. How far do these words and themes reflect the character of God and the character of a people that he calls his own? Can they serve as some sort of character checklist at this point in our journey of spiritual growth as a church? For example, the Mission Action Plan for 2012-13 spoke of the need for integration, consolidation and visibility in our life as a church. While the parish profile that was prepared for the vacancy last year used the acronym GOSPEL, to identify six core values, gospel, openness, service, prayer, engagement, and perhaps most importantly, love. And interestingly, there's a line in the Camborne Church profile which refers to the core values as, quote, not just pious hopes, but the underlying passion that this church has for its mission in the widest sense. 
We went on to develop that mission-focused strand over recent months to explore the five marks of mission, which challenge us to be a people who tell, who teach, who tend, who transform, and who treasure. Revisiting these words and themes can help us to discern how far our character faithfully reflects God's values and priorities. But talking about core values and marks of mission is not enough. We need to be walking the talk, to use a modern cliche. And that idea of walking the talk is actually as old as the Exodus story itself. For in the Jewish tradition, the Hebrew word for the law of Moses is halacha. Halacha, a word which has at its root the meaning of to go or to walk. So a better literal translation for halacha, the law of Moses, might be the path or the way of walking. The law of Moses in Exodus, represented here by the Ten Commandments, was given as the people of Israel physically walked through the desert. And it was given so that their walk with God and with one another would be a means of spiritual growth for themselves and a source of blessing for others. And of course, the truth is that God continues to call us to the same way of walking in our time and our place so that we may be his people and he will be our God. Amen.